This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Red Nation News Podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Red Nation Hoops on Twitter. Season preview edition of the podcast. Uh, here joined by three people today Forrest Walker, Kyle Chilik, and Taylor Pate. How you guys doing? I'm good now. The season's getting closer. It is. Yeah, something something to root for. Yeah, pretty excited. Yeah, I mean, um, it's already been kind of a newsworthy summer, and I'm, I'm just really excited to see the product on the floor like i i couldn't be more excited i'm just i just really want to see basketball that matters uh the preseason's been kind of it's it's hard to differentiate what's real and what's not and like I, i'm finding that like a lot of what's a lot of what the rockets are doing like it, it just it just might not matter once the season starts uh they're doing a lot of switching they're doing a lot of they're doing a lot of pick and rolls where Harden's a screener, and I, I think that's really interesting. But I'm not sure if that's going to last. And like, they're doing a lot of stuff, and I'm I'm just like I, I just want to see it in in a game in a format where the games actually matter. Um, but before we get into that, um, let's go ahead and talk about what happened earlier this week. Uh, Kevin McHale on NBA TV was asked uh, what he thought of the Chris Paul trade, and essentially he gave an answer that kind of questioned Harden's leadership, and he said, you know, Harden's not much not really a leader Chris Paul is going to help out with that and that kind of sparked like a viral thing like it, it, it like Twitter kind of took that and ran with it a lot of people uh used that for blog posts and it was very much a thing for like two days and Harden was asked about that uh during FanFest and he like I think everybody in this on this call knows like We've all watched Harden for years and years and years, and we pretty much know how he's going to respond to this sort of thing. He's going to brush it off, say something like, oh, that's his opinion, or no comment. Like, re- like Harden is not really someone to respond to this kind of thing. He never really, he's not really one to, to draw conflict, and he kind of blew everybody away. Right off the bat, called <laughs> Ke- Kevin McHale a clown, and um, basically called him a, a two-faced dude, like, and somebody who... You know, he was really high on Harden when he was here, and to say that when he's gone, and um, said that Kevin McHale didn't teach him anything, like anything. Yeah. <laughs> Quote, unquote, he never taught me anything. Yeah, he never taught me anything, <laughs> and, like... Oh, boy. He kind of went off. That was some hot stuff. Yeah, like, I did not expect it, like, I, and I don't think the reporters there expected it either, like... Like Jonathan Fagan pulled out his camera midway through the quote, like he missed he missed the first part of it because he was so shocked. Like no one expected him to give any sort of newsworthy response, and he did. And yeah, it's kind of a thing now, and I don't see this going away for like a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think it kind of um, you know it seems like there's always something that has to do with Harden's character on the TNT halftime shows. Um, it's always something that, that seems to get brought up, and I think this tra- just kind of further perpetuates that. It's going to be a, a, a point of interest, and, um, you know, it, it's going to be something that gets talked about. And I guess the one positive is that it could light, you know, a fire under Harden. Um, hopefully that fire was there anyway, but, you know, maybe we get a little extra something. I just don't get the point of Mikhail going on TV and saying that in the first place. Like, you don't see any former coaches going out and bashing people on TV like he's done with the can't-play point guard, shuts it down. 
uh, and adversity and stuff like that. You don't see Jeff Van Gundy saying anything like that about T-Mac or the worst that uh, MDA said about anyone was that him and Carmelo couldn't agree, so he quit. He didn't throw anyone under the bus. Right. So I just feel like these, but I mean, according to like Larry Bird's books and book that he wrote and stuff like that, uh, Mikhail's a bit of a, well, kind of like Larry Bird, where he just says whatever he wants to say. So I guess that's just how he feels. Well, that's fine. That's how, that's how James Harden feels too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and this isn't the first time Mikhail's said, said something about Harden, as, as you pointed out, Kyle, like, I went back and researched it, and there's like six instances of Harden, of Mikhail calling Harden out in the media since last year. Like, that's it. Like, just, just like, a, it's been going on ever since he was let go from the team. And, like, you know, every single interview when he's asked about the Rockets, he'll, he'll mention this thing about Harden not being a leader. Like, it was only this time where it was kind of a thing because it was about Chris Paul. But, like, he's he's been pretty consistent with this message about Harden not being... Uh, a leader and I don't know like I, I I'm okay with Harden like he's he, he seems to be consistently leading the Rockets to 50 plus wins every season uh, and led them to a Western leadership Conference only matters in elimination games that's the only time it counts right I mean like that's that's what it's that's what it feels like right like whenever uh, anybody wants to disparage Harden they're gonna mention his, his playoff failures or whatever and and I'm just kind of like like Harden's like really really good in the playoffs. This this bogus myth that he's like a bad playoff performer, it's just that. It's a bogus myth. Like if you look at his numbers, he's been consistently awesome, but we're so we selectively me- remember what we want to remember about Harden to to back up our ridiculous take. Like if we, if you think Harden's a bad playoff performer, you're pretty much going to mention three things. You're going to mention Oklahoma City when he was in Oklahoma City and he didn't have a good finals when he was like 19 or 20 or something like that. You're going to mention uh game 6 in LA uh when Mikhail benched him and you're going to mention game 6 against the Spurs. That's it. Like nobody ever mentions his, his awesome games. Like he Harden's had a lot of great games in the playoffs, and he's been consistently good. But nobody wants to ever rem- like mention those games or or the other elimination games where he goes off, and like it, it, those count as elimination games too, right? Like the the game seven after Mikhail benched him, like that counts. Like he went off that game and more than made up for what he didn't. What what he wasn't doing in Game Six, and no one ever mentions it. Like I I, I don't know what it is. Like I just feel like, like if if you want to disparage Harden, you're only you're only pointing to a small small sample size. Yeah, uh, you know, not to not to play too much devil's advocate, but I think the idea here is that look, he that one season in particular, we know the season. Uh, there is a there was a lot of reason to criticize the entire Rockets team. They came out bad. They can't, you know, they started the season bad. They look bad. And you can definitely say that there was a crisis of leadership. And right. uh, the idea, I guess, is that he was in the locker room. He would know, but that's kind of a double-edged sword in that he's, he was the head coach at the start of that season. He should have done more than be aware of the lack of leadership. Wasn't he also supposed to do some leading? I mean, it was definitely a bad look for the whole team, but it was a bad look for the whole team. There's plenty of room to criticize Harden, but I didn't, you know, I I didn't hear Kevin McHale saying, "Yeah, that was a nasty year." You know, like I I didn't I didn't pull my weight and Harden didn't pull his or anything. It's a bad look all around, and uh, one of the bad looks is more fun for me because uh, watching Harden actually snap was is a good time. <laughs> I, I, I hope to see him play angry and just like get out there and murk some opposing teams that had nothing to do with this. But uh, yeah, it's I, I understand what Mikhail's saying. Like I get it, but he's has a bad habit of airing dirty laundry. <laughs> Someone said oh, we can't wait to see what his wife says. <laughs> right. Like and um and to be fair, like Harden did start that season off slow, so I, I I'm not gonna necessarily you know say Harden was great that season. I, he absolutely was, and his leadership was definitely in question. He had a bad summer. He came into camp out of shape. Those are fair criticisms, but like to air it out in the like as you said to air it out on TNT on NBA TV, like I don't like. I feel like Mikhail has to show some more decorum here, man. Like you just you just don't do that, like. And you don't see other NBA players do that. Jared Dudley talked about this on Twitter. He's like, like you don't see 
other coaches talk about their former players like Mikhail talks about Harden. Like, if anybody has any anything bad to say about a player, it's Dan Tony and Carmelo Anthony. Like, Dan Tony has a lot has every right to say something bad about Carmelo Anthony because he cost him his job. Like, literally went to went literally went to management, said it's him or me, and Dan Tony resigned. And and he wouldn't adjust the system. He he was, you know, he was perpetually just a guy who wanted to play the way he wanted to play and and it wasn't it wasn't vibing with D'Antoni and D'Antoni had to resign because of it and D'Antoni showed nothing but class ever since like that's how you respond man like you're you're not you shouldn't really say anything i i, I know he's in a he's in a like he's in a tough spot there cuz he has to answer questions about the Rockets and he has to he has to answer questions about Harden but i mean I don't know. You don't. You don't have to make it personal all the time. Like you, you just don't. Like, you can talk about the Rockets and not talk about like personality. Like you can just talk about the Rockets and that and and just talk about the Rockets. Like you don't have to talk about them, um, in, in the manner that he did. I'm think, just surprised that he has like the gall to bring up the performance of the team when he was the head coach. That just seems extremely counterproductive, given how like honestly poor his ability to coach that team was i mean you know that for a long time i've said well he did the best with what he was given and he was never intended to be like the coach of a contending team he was supposed to be a developmental coach but like why would he why would he bring this up the team underperformed so badly during his tenure and he was fired because the team was doing badly i don't i mean i get why he would be bitter about this but he's definitely bitter right yeah, I mean, and it makes sense, you know, I, I, I guess I see I, I see why he said it, because if you think about it, you know, this was probably his last chance to try to make any sort of title run, and I, you know, I guess I get why he's bitter that that ended, but at the same point, you know, to, to Forrest's point, it was, his, I mean, he was the head coach, it was, it was as much his fault as it was anyone else's, and, um, I think that, you know, if if Mikhail had been perhaps a better leader, then he could have rallied the troops. Um, so I, I think there's a little bit of irony. Although I will say that this uh, there is a positive in this in that we don't get to see this side of, of um, locker rooms or, um, you know, coach-player interactions very often, and this is something that we are getting to see. So I guess it's kind of interesting. Oh, it's very entertaining. Like it, it's very much a much must see social media, I guess, right? Like, um, and I, I I'm just kind of interested to see like what Mikhail comes back with. Like, is is he gonna really respond to this comment? And like, again, I want to see if this does affect Harden going into the season. I, I don't think he has much more to add to like his fuel. Like, he seems pretty self motivated at this point to get the season going. Um, and. Yeah, I, I just want to see the backlash because you just know people are going to take Mikhail's side because Mikhail is a lovable uh, former head coach, former player. I, I think I think people are going to take his side on this, and I I just can't I can't wait. Like I think Forrest talked about that on Twitter. I can't wait for the Rockets to be the most hated team in the NBA again. Like I can't wait. It, it, it's it's much more fun like this. It's a, it's much more fun like this. And uh, I think you brought up a good point, uh, Kyle. Like. Mikhail was secretly on the hot seat like that season. Like going into that season after the 2014 playoffs um, and that failure against the Portland Trailblazers, Mikhail took a lot of heat, man. Like he, he was not good in that series at all. Like, you know who was good in you know who was good in Game Six of that series? <laughs> James Harden. <laughs> not the only one, though. Terry Stotts <laughs> stole his lunch money, man, and like. He was very much publicly on the hot seat. Like, if you go through all the columns from that summer and you look at coaches on the hot seat, Mikhail was at the top or near the top. And it was, and because the Rockets started off so hot, like, it just kind of, it wasn't a thing anymore. Nobody ever talked about it. But, I mean, Harden kind of saved his job there. Like, he kind of, by having that MVP season, he saved his job. And getting to the Western Conference Finals. Like, Mikhail was able to stay another year, and he got another contract extension out of that. And he's still getting I, – I, I think he's still getting paid by the Rockets. This might be his last season or maybe next season. I don't know. Um, he got a pretty good chunk pretty good chunk of change, like, after he left the organization. 
Now, that relationship must have soured really quick because he got that extension in December, and I'd imagine that they kind of ran that by Harden and everyone. So I don't know what made it turn so quickly and so harsh, but it got real ugly real quick. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think starting up four and seven will do that to you. I mean, I I was surprised he got that extension in the first place, honestly, because it you know we those of us who were paying attention had seen that he he didn't really have an offensive system and he barely had any of like a defensive system. It was, I was, I was shocked that he lasted as long as he did, given how little actual coaching he appeared to be doing. I'm sure the guys loved him and I'm sure he's a, a very delightful player coach that guys want to play for, but you know, he was not optimizing the talent when it comes to playing at a high level. And I don't think it's controversial to imply that. Well, see, and if anything, I think that, uh, you know, the season that Harden had um, that got him the extension in the first place had a big part to do with that. And so if he wasn't, you know, it was Harden that was carrying that team, you know, to what, uh, 54 wins or whatever it was. 56. Um, 56 wins, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was Harden that was carrying them to that. And, of course, if, if you know, they come in the next season and, you know, the relationship between Dwight and, and James has, has deteriorated or whatever – then clearly, you know, maybe with coaching or some or, or some sort of system, you can make up for some of that. But when you're when you're not doing anything, when you when you don't actually have any type of um, you know system that, that that your guys can run, you're not you're not going to have success. You know, your your feeling is going to be limited to, hey, what can Harden do while he's unhappy, and you know, Dwight still has to get his touches. And to be fair to Mikhail, like, I, I thought he was a fine coach. Like, he was pretty much, like, an average coach to me. Like, I didn't really have a strong opinion about him one way or the other. Like, like I think I think if he was in the NBA now, he wouldn't be, like, he wouldn't be the worst coach in the NBA. Like, I think their, their coach is pretty much on his level or right beneath him. Like, you know, you could talk about, you could look at Alvin Gentry. You could look at uh, Scott Brooks. Like, he's pretty much in that tier of coaches. You know, Jeff Hornacek, like, where like I don't really have a strong opinion of them one way or the other. Like you're you're probably not reaching your ceiling as a championship team with him. Like, but you're you're not like you're not in the worst spot. Like I, I think he's easy. I think he's like an average coach. Like I think he did he did okay with the Rockets. He, uh, w- with what he did with the Rockets. And um, to be fair to him, he, he he did coach the team that had the most success since the Hakeem years, right? Like we we do have to give him some sort of credit for that. Um, and benching Harden was a strategic decision that what that could have been met with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of criticism had that not worked out for him, right? Like if if, if Josh Smith and Corey Brewer don't go on that run, uh, Mikhail gets killed in the media the next day, right? I, I I think I think it's fair to say he did an okay job here. Like he, he was a, he was a a decent coach. Uh, I'm not sure how you guys feel about the bottom one way or the other, but yeah, let's go ahead and, and st- start talking about what we actually came here for. Season preview. So the the season starts in about a week and a half, right? October eighth, right now. So about nine days. So I'm excited. I know you guys are excited, and this preseason's been kind of driving me nuts because, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, it's really hard to tell what's real and what's not. Uh, we did, we released our season preview t- this morning, and uh, I was actually surprised with what a lot of you had for answers in terms of win totals, like. A lot of you guys think this team could win sixty games, like that, that and that kind of surprised me. I, I think I was on the lower end, like I had them at fifty four wins because I thought they're going to struggle a little bit out the gate. But you guys think they're going to be red hot out the gate because that's kind of what you have to be to be a sixty one team. Am I correct in that assessment? Yeah, but I think that's a large part because what they have out of the gate is really not that frightening. Their schedule mm-hmm. is soft early on. Yeah, um, I mean. <laughs> I don't even know really. I don't. I, I don't know what the ceiling is for this team um, because it's so hard to gauge from playing against the Shanghai Sharks and and you know one other preseason game against a Russell Westbrookless Thunder. Um, but it's okay. Kind of just it's okay because they're gonna play the Knicks next, and we're gonna get a pretty good idea of, of how they play against a really good team. <laughs> yeah, an excellent team. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So I think that it, really we're not fully gonna know what we're what we're getting the product that we're getting until you know we get probably 
10, 10 games or so into the season, and we can kind of start to see trends and stuff like that. But what I do like so far is um, the the recent you know defensive additions that the Rockets have made seem to already be paying off. I mean, they're like they're all over the place, uh, you know, getting getting their hands on on uh, passes and getting in the passing lanes and um, playing like crazy small ball lineups. Um, their switching is still a little bit off at the moment, but I think that stuff's going to come time and um, you know this team is going to be scary good I think. Yeah as always with preseason all you can really do is kind of look at how they're playing look at their attitude and beyond that it's are there red flags or not so far no red flags you know they uh, they handled the Thunder pretty handily uh, they beat the Shanghai Sharks by 62 which <laughs> you can't really ask for more than that uh, maybe a little more mercy I mean when you play against a non-NBA team in preseason, you better beat the hell out of them if you're supposed to be a good team. Well, right? you know, if you didn't, the, uh, the Thunder just won by one point against Melbourne. Oh, I, I didn't bring that up. Oh, but it, but it's, okay. it's okay because the Thunder are going to win 70 games this season. I mean, like, that that's, <laughs> that seems to be the consensus. Um, but, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's tough, right? Like, it, it's really, really tough to disseminate, like, what's – like is this a good team yet or not? And we're still gonna we're still gonna have to wait a bit because they play the Warriors on opening night, and everybody's bad yeah, against man. the Warriors, right? And, yeah. and I think you're the right. Chemistry to, looks go good. Ahead. Yeah, go ahead. The chemistry looks good. That's all I can take away from this. Yeah, they they seem to they seem to really click. Uh, and again, they're playing against defenses, but I mean, they still seem to really have a good. Good feeling to where to where to pass the ball, when to pass the ball, um, and like where each other is on the floor. Like they have a good, they have a good sense for where everybody is on the floor, and and that's probably through two weeks of playing with each other in training camp, and uh, you know, like playing together all summer. That they've developed some chemistry. Harden and Chris Paul is what are, is what really everybody's really wondering. Like, how is that going to work out? And so far, it's looked fine. Like I, I, I'd say it's looked fine. Like I, it's not. It's going to take a while for the for this pairing to be fully optimized. But I, I'd say that from what we've seen in the preseason, which is only two games, um, they've looked pretty good. Chris Paul has been really steadfast in taking a, a back seat. Like he's he's actually done pretty well in that, and he's been a pretty good spot up shooter. It's going to take a while for Harden to get used to these shots. Um, and, um, and he, you know, he, that's understandable cause he's, he's just not used to it. Like he's so used to having to create and do pull up threes and stuff, but catch and shoot just seems like an awkward thing for him. It's good. It'll take some time. It'll take some time. Um, but I mean, as far as, as far as preseason goes, I don't see any red flags. And I mean, except for, you know, against the Shanghai sharks, I suppose there were some fans there with red flags, but I mean, um, the, 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 <laughs> uh, but yeah, that they they look they look fine. They look fine in the preseason. I don't know. I still think they're gonna struggle coming out the gate because I, again they play the Warriors on opening night. Um, and I still think that Harden and Chris Paul are gonna they're not gonna clash, but it's it's gonna take some time to optimize that pairing. I think I think at the All Star break they're gonna be good, but I mean before then there's still gonna be some bumps along the road, and I think they're gonna lose a lot of stupid games. All right. I think I I think I think there's a lot of merit to that, but let me go ahead and put out here. Here's the first ten games, and let me see what you guys think how each of these games is going to go. Uh, game one, of course, is in uh, in the Bay against Golden State. I think we can all agree that you expect a loss in that situation. Yeah, the Warriors are definitely losing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there will be a one loss between the two teams for sure. Uh, right. Game two. The second, it's a back-to-back to start the season off hilariously uh, okay. in Sacramento. You know, like that's like ninety-minute drive uh, against the Kings. Mm, I, I think that's the win. Right. Yeah. Uh, then yeah. they travel back home for a two-game homestand uh, on the twenty-first. They they host the Mavs. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think they win that game. Uh, on the twenty-third, they host the Grizzlies. Mm, I could see them blowing that one. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go ahead and say it's a loss because the Grizzlies always give the, the Rockets some trouble. 
then they head out to Philadelphia to play the Warriors on the 25th. Or not the Warriors, the, uh, that'd be weird. The Sixers on the 25th. Yeah, that's a win. Uh, yeah. Then on the 27th, they're at Charlotte. Win. They should win that. They should win that. Uh, yeah. Then it's a back-to-back. They head to Memphis to play the Grizzlies on the 28th. I'll say okay, win. Well, I'm pretty sure they'd at least beat them once out of those two times, yeah. Yeah, I'll say yeah. win. Uh, then they head back to Houston to host the Sixers on the 30th. This is a back-to-back? Nope. Against the Sixers? Yeah, in Houston against the Sixers. Okay, that's a, that's a win. Rest that's a on win. either side. Yeah. That's a win, yeah. Uh, then they travel back out to uh, to New York to play the Knicks on the first. And they should definitely win that. Uh, and then the tenth game is travel to Atlanta to play the Hawks in the third. Yeah, they should okay, definitely. I, if they lose more than two games there, it the, would be a pretty disappointing start. The, that's in Atlanta, right? Yeah, it's in Atlanta. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say it's a loss. It gets uh, rough after what? that. That, like after that, is Utah, Cleveland, Memphis, uh, Indiana, Toronto. So there's a, it gets a little rough after that. But the first ten games should be mostly pretty winnable, they even if they're feeling themselves out. They should win at least six yeah. of those games. I think. I think yeah. you're a little too cool on them to start. Well, me, I think def- they should definitely win at least eight of them. No, they I'm, should. They should. I'd say they should win seven, but eight would be. Like, I mean, they're losing the first one. That's that's yeah. just happening. Yeah. So out of the, out of the next nine, yeah, I think you can. I think they probably win seven of the next nine. Yeah. How crazy would it be on Rockets Twitter if the Rockets actually win that first game? Like it it would it would blow my mind. Like if they if they manage to win their first game as a pairing in Golden State on opening night. And again, that's ring ceremony night, right? So, it is. So I mean, teams no, the Rockets on- will probably be up three for three quarters, and then the Warriors will, you know, do what the Warriors do. Yeah, yeah, that's the likely outcome. But I, but stay with me for a second. If they win that first game, I mean, how badly would, would we lose our? <laughs> <shit>? I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, because again, we have no idea what this team's going to look like. But if they start that, if they start the season with a win against the Warriors, I mean. The I, I I think that kind of raises their expectations in a way that I don't want. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so I, I'm gonna go ahead and say they lose that game. Uh, but yeah, uh, six and four is where is where I see it. Uh, you guys see it around seven and three and eight and two. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like you you wrote a whole column about this um, on on randishnoops.com about the schedule, so you guys can go check that out. So yeah, they should ease the se- they should start the season off with a couple of easy wins, but I don't know. I ju- I just think that this pairing is 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 gonna it's gonna take some time because like I see this going a lot like the way Dwayne Wade and LeBron did in that like I think they're gonna lose a lot of games, but I think their point differential is gonna be really really good and their net rating and their advanced stats are gonna be really good, but they're gonna lose a lot of dumb games because um, they're just working out kinks like. If, what happens if they get into a close game and, uh, you know, we're, we're, st- we're still trying to figure out this Harden and, and Paul dynamic, right? Like, that, that's a that's a real concern. Uh, we haven't seen this team in a close game yet, obviously. And, you know, how does that work out, right? And, like, I, I think there are going to be small concerns like that. This defense, like, th- they're implementing a totally new system. Like, switching is going to be totally new for them. Like, switching this much. Like, they switched a little bit last year. But not as much as they're doing in the preseason, and if if they continue to do that, um, I think it, I think it'll take some time to adapt. And because of that, I think they'll start the season a little slow defensively. So I mean, yeah, I I, I do think they're they're gonna start off the season a little bit slow. But I mean, hey, give me your case for why they don't, other than the schedule. You you guys think they're already, you guys think they're already simpatico? I mean, it already looks pretty good. Uh, their chemistry appears to be pretty well on the way. You know, obviously, it's just, you know, it's just a couple of pre preseason games, but uh, they look like they're communicating well. Their pick and rolls look effective. Uh, I think that the, everyone's willing to shoot and from far behind the line. It seems like I think there's reason to hope that Chris Paul is going to slot into the system pretty fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think that them, especially them spending, you know, the summer together, like. Harden typically does whenever they acquire, you know, new talent. Um, 
I think it definitely plays a big part because I, I I can assure you that they sit and talk for hours and hours and hours about their you know basketball philosophy and like I said you know Chris Paul is such a cerebral dude and so is James Harden that I'm sure that they're they're talking about their tendencies and and you know what you know where they like to catch the ball and all this just all this kind of stuff that you know we probably aren't even considering um, and I think that they're the, they're two type of dudes that you know, they get it. They get, you know, what it means to have them together. So um, I think that there's a there's a pretty good simpatico already. So based on what, like, James has said in camp, uh, it sounds like he's pretty ready and excited to play off ball more. He said he's lost weight to cut, and he's been working on his catch and shoot. It sounds like he's ready to sacrifice, and that makes me, if they were both saying, like, oh, I can't wait to see how... Chris looks off the ball, and then Chris is saying, oh, I can't wait to see how James looks off the ball, then I'd be a bit more concerned. But it sounds like they already decided and worked out who's going to spend more time off the ball, and yeah. James doesn't seem to have a problem with that so far. But Chris has also said that he will play off the ball, and he's shown that in preseason. Just one of them is obviously going to have to do it more often because there's never going to be a 50-50 split. I know, I know it's preseason, but Chris Paul looks really, really freaking good against second units. Like he destroyed. Oh God, yes. Yeah, like he destroyed Oklahoma City's second unit. Like it was just a clinic out there. Um, he was finding guys for easy dunks, easy threes. It was like, how ridiculous is it that when when Harden's done with an action, like the ball gets kicked out to Harden to, to Chris Paul, and he's there for part two. And when one of those guys be- when, when one of those guys rests. Eric Gordon, sixth man of the year, comes on the floor. Like their backcourt is insane. Like let me let me just read you um, through two games. Granted, you know what we already know about which yeah. what those teams are. Caveat, and caveat, yeah. Let me let me read you the three point percentages of this team right now. Um, Ryan Anderson, forty two point nine percent. Trevor Ariza, fifty percent. Um, Eric Gordon, sixty eight point eight percent. Uh, I'll skip Demetrius Jackson and Chris Johnson, but they're both at 50%. Uh, Luke Mbamute, 67%. Chris Paul, 38%. Troy Williams, 50%. Uh, Joe Chi, 50%. Um, the space in this lineup, or in these lineups, is ridiculous. Like you've yeah, got, Everybody's open. Even, yeah, you've got even more guys that can go behind, you know, a couple of feet behind the line. Um, I mean, if it's really, really ridiculous how much space is in this lineup. Right, like they look awesome. Like in terms of like just killing second units, like absolutely destroying second units. Like Harden gets his rest and he doesn't have to worry about it. Remember that was a concern for years uh, with this team. Like Harden would go to the bench and it feel like he'd have to check in like two minute, two or three minutes later. But now he can go to the bench and stay there for a good five minutes and. Yeah, and Chris Paul's going to be leading the offense. Right. Like, one of the greatest point guards of all time is leading the offense, while one of the greatest point guards of all time is on the bench. Right? Like, that's insane. And um, it's just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> Yeah, who are you going to roll out against against Chris Paul in your backup lineup? Like, Raymond Felton? <laughs> okay, cool. Let's, let's see this happen. Right. He's the best backup point guard in the league. The best backup point guard in the league. Sean Livingston? Uh, I don't know. Um, Jeremy somebody Lin? That, somebody that probably can't defend Chris Paul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get, again, he's going to destroy second units. And if that's the plan, I mean, the Rockets are in pretty good state. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that they, they chose to stagger so early because I, I thought initially that that was going to be a concern with, with D'Antoni, but he came out and said, we're staggering these guys. Like, a lot of coaches, you know, they try to play their guys um, on the floor at the same time, but D'Antoni recognized right away, like, the best use of these guys is when they're on the floor separately and when they're, and when you know, they're killing bench units. And it's going to be really fun to see. Uh, my thoughts on this team is I, I think they're, they're going to be a better, they're going to be a better postseason team than a better regular season team. Uh, and th- 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 that's why I have them pegged for 54 wins. I, th- I think they're going to be, the third seed going into the the playoffs. Where do you guys see them falling in terms of the playoff race? 
Boy, I think they're going to be a they're a better postseason team than they were, and I think they're going to be a better regular season team too. I think that being able to just assault opposing benches around the neck and shoulders is going to be huge for them because bench play matters even more in the regular season where you actually have to go to it more often. And the fact that they're just going to be relentless, like I think lesser opponents, they're gonna there's going to be a lot of games where they just wrap it up by the third quarter. Like if they have no, if they have like no refuge from Chris Paul and James Harden, there's a lot of teams who are just gonna fold after a bit. Like they go, you know, you, you saw a lot last year, right? The year before that, teams would go down ten against the Rockets, but then the bench would come out and it would be good some nights, bad other nights, and a lot of times teams they should beat would come back a bit and they get their confidence back and they'd be able to make it a game again. But if you just keep hammering these bench units with James Harden and Chris Paul, there's a lot of teams who are just going to say, you know what? There's 82 games. I think they're going to. I think they're improved in both aspects, and that's part of why I'm so high on them. Yeah, so, yes, I mean, I they're going to win a lot where, of games. Where they where they faltered last year, they've made up a lot of. Um, you know, like Forrest said, a lot of times those second units. Um, we're pretty pretty reliant on you know Eric Gordon um, hitting shots pretty much on his own or um, you know maybe Pat Beverly going crazy for a few minutes but um, you know at this point you're going to be able to run your offense for you know the entire game you're not going to have any point where you're not running your offense because you've got um, you know one of those two guys on the court at all times and so you don't have any reason that you can't you know you know, run the, the pick and roll because you've got Nene backing up Capella and it brings a whole new dynamic to, to that second unit, um, which I think Chris Paul and Nene is going to be such a good combination. Um, oh, that's going to be the most obnoxious veteran-savvy pair ever. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, you know, it's like they said the other day, um, your ninth and 10th guys on this team could be starting on other teams. Yeah, so they should be second in the West. That's got to be their expectation and their goal for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's possible they don't. It's possible they slip to third or maybe even fourth, but they shouldn't be happy with that. That's fair. I I still have them going third because I think San Antonio is going to rack up regular season wins, and I think they're going to be a better regular season team than the Rockets. But I think the Rockets are a significantly more dangerous postseason team uh, just because of their top heavy talent. Uh, Kawhi is great, and he's one of the best players in the NBA. But the Rockets have two of those guys, man, and um, and that's why I kind of see I have them penciled in to the Western Conference Finals right now. But I, again, this West, this Western Conference is absolutely nuts, uh, and and that's part of the reason I have them at fifty four wins because I think they're going to lose a lot more games than they normally would have um, had this Western Conference been normal. Like uh, they're going to lose games to Denver. They're going to lose games to like Utah. Like the, the West is crazy crazy deep right now and um there's a chance that uh they could lose a lot of games that they're not supposed to because just it's just hard to deal with there's so much talent in the west and i think i even with that being said i still think they're going to be in the conference finals like i am really really high on this this team's postseason potential and i i, I think I, i'm excited to see what they can do in that opening day matchup against the warriors to be honest like I, i'm I'm actually I'm actually looking forward to watching that. Like even though there's a chance it could be a, a complete bloodbath. Like I I just think the length that the Rockets acquired in the offseason with PJ Tucker and Luke Mbamute, the lineups that they could throw out like are could be ridiculous in terms of small ball flexibility, defensive <laughs> versatility, um, shooting. Like they ha- they have the offensive like I think what somebody said this in our preview. They have lineups that can play offense, defense, small ball, big ball, like anything. Any type of basketball you want to play, they have the personnel to play play that way. And that's what really makes me excited for this team. Um, I want to see how how they match up with the Warriors opening night. Um, they, they're probably as long gonna, as they can make the Warriors sweat. Right. They're probably going to lose that game, but if, if they... I, I just want to see how those lineups... How those lineups with P.J. Tucker, Luke Mbamute, and Trevor Ariza. And... Uh, and James Harden and Chris Paul filling out the backcourt. I want to see those lineups. Or James Harden, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, uh, Luke Mbamute, P.J. Tucker. Like, lineups like that, I want to, I really want to see uh, what D'Antoni does. And, you know, he's a really creative coach, and it's going to be really interesting to see what they, what they try to throw out there. 
That's a real pile of locusts, huh? You get a whole bunch of guys who are long and can switch anything. That's a real nightmare. That's like that's like one of the few lineups that actually I think uh, has some potential to be able to slow down Golden State if anybody can. That yeah, you get a lineup where everybody can switch, and then you can actually deal with these these horrible nightmare pick and roll shooters that you have out there for Golden State. Yeah, and the best part about it is like this team could lo- could lead the league in steals next year. Or be pretty uh, pretty high up there, like because the they've length, been trying so far, right? Yeah, they, they they've abused the Sharks and uh, the Thunder in terms of turnovers. I mean, like they could seriously force like a crazy amount of turnovers next season. With I mean, Chris Paul isn't already an expert at this. Like he's like an assassin. Like the the minute you put your and Patrick Beverly w- w- was like this, but in a different way. Like Chris Paul is more cerebral with it. Like like you'll go through a pick and Chris Paul will steal the ball. Like you, you're you're just you're trying to run a pick a, a basic pick and roll that you've done a thousand times in the regular season already, and Chris Paul is going to swipe that ball out of your hands and start a fast break, and that's what's ridiculous about this team. It's and it's not just Chris Paul, Harden average too, yeah, yeah. Harden averages like a, a steal or two per game. Ariza, uh, Mute, PJ Tucker. I mean, this team could be lethal in transition. That's part of why I think that they're not going to lose as many games to teams that they shouldn't lose to. Because even if it's not fitting, it, they're going to make they're going to get a lot of easy buckets that they don't need chemistry to get. And I think because of that, they're going to beat all, most of the teams that they should beat, especially once they start to get it together. And beating, not losing to teams that aren't like top ten teams very often is a big deal. And I think that's what gets them up to like the fifty nine, sixty range and the second seed. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. This is a team that in any other era would be cl- like a clear best team in the league. Like this team has all the things you need to be a championship contender. They they they're going to have those uh, what they called you remember the days of the flying death machine in Miami. I think they're going to have stretches of that where they'll just be like steal dunk, steal dunk, steal dunk and suddenly in like, you know, 45 seconds you're down 6 points to them and blinking your eyes and going what the hell just happened? Like this is a scary good team. They just happen to be in a league where the scariest goodest team of all time is around. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's unfortunate but man, it's going to be fun. Like I I really don't even care about the Warriors right now. Like the Rockets will deal with them when they deal with them. I I just want to see how October ridiculous. seventeenth, right, right. I, I I mean, in in the in terms of the postseason, the Rockets will deal with them when they deal with them. But like, I just want to see this team like get get in the transition and get into Fastberg. I mean, Nene and Capella are gonna feast on dunks and lobs this year. Like, I like D'Antoni joked that Clint Capella could lead this team in scoring. But, I mean, I, I don't think it's absurd to say he can have 18 points per game this year, right? Like, just off of dunks or, like, at least 16 points per game. Like, th- that's how ridiculous Harden and Chris Paul are going to be feeding him and the kind of looks they're going to get because, you know, you can't double-team these guys anymore. Like, y- there was a lot of focus on James Harden last year, and James Harden's seen pretty much every pick-and-roll defense you could throw at him now at this point. But a lot of those defenses just aren't going to work anymore because Chris because the ball will get kicked out to Chris Paul, and your defense is just going to break. Like it's going to fade. It's going to fall down because Chris Paul is that freaking good. And it's, <laughs> yeah, if you leave one of the two guys open, the other one is going to find the person that you've that whoever that person is. Right. Chris you know, if, Paul, you, if you put two guys on Chris or James, yeah, the other one's going to find the open man, and then you're done. And and Chris Paul was like fifty percent on catch and shoots last year. Like that's totally like. I mean, I, I could see him being up to like 42% three-point shooting this year or like at least maintain that 40% three-point shooting that he had last season. And I could see Harden's percentage percentages going up a little bit. This team is going to be scary fun. And the question I asked in, in the preseason preview that got the mo- – like it's, I felt like I got a unanimous answer for this. Like what are you guys most interested in seeing this season – and pretty much everybody answered defense. Like every, every we all want to see how good this defense can be. Uh, they were 18th in the league last year, and uh, they've at, obviously we talked about how they added so many a lot of defensive pieces uh, this summer. And PJ Tucker, Luke Mbamute, Tariq Black, um, and like the potential for this team being a top 10 defense is very much on the table. Do we think they can get there this season? And um, if not, like where do you see them falling? They should. That should be their expectation. They have the tools to do it. If they can't do it, they should consider that a failure. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. They even the people that they added are replacing mostly negative defensive players, except for Chris Paul and Beverly. Like That's a Montrez, when he would play as the third center, he I love Montrez, but he's an offensive center. He's he doesn't protect the rim well, and he definitely didn't rebound well. And Black does both of those things very well. And then Decker was athletic, and he tried, and he was fine. But he wasn't Luke Mbaa Mute or P.J. Tucker. And Lou Williams was Lou Williams. So Yeah, can we, can we acknowledge that Luke Mbaa Mute was on the Clippers last year as a starter? Like, he was a starting-level player that defended Kevin Durant and, and LeBron James. Like, he defended other other teams' best players. Like, he was their best defender. And he's the Rockets' like third best defender right now on the wing. <laughs> he's like the eighth man or something. It's ridiculous. Like, he's on a minimum contract for the Rockets, and he was a starter last season. Like, that, that's ridiculous. Like, I still can't get over that. Uh, and, yeah, like, a lot of this is going to defend on, on Click Capella. And, like... Has he gotten better at run protection last year? He was okay last season. I, he needs to take a, b- a bigger step up this season. Uh, Chris Paul was talking about how uh, they've been enforcing him to be more vocal uh, and and be more of the leader on, on the defense. Like be be more of a DeAndre Jordan, where you can hear, you can you, you're communicating all the time. You're you're, you're talking on the t- all the time on the court, and you're calling out reads. You're calling out stuff that you see from the back line. Do we see Clint Capella taking a leap on the defensive end of the floor this year? And how excited are you about his year in general? I, well, he, he looked I really good in the playoffs, at least protecting the rim. And he struggled offensively, but he was doing a good job on the boards, and uh, he was switching pretty well. And I think that that projects pretty well into his next season. And he's still young, and bigs usually don't get defense their first three or four years. So I think it's pretty reasonable to expect him to build off of what he had last year. Yeah, I think um, I think that having Chris Paul come in uh, after being with a guy like DeAndre Jordan, um, you know, he can probably give him some pointers and, and help him um, get into the right spot. There was a few quite a few times last season where Capella, um, you know, just was out of position. Um, right. And I think that I think that there will definitely be um, some correction in that. And Capella's a smart guy, um, and he's added to his game every year that he's come, you know, every year that he's come back in. So I, I certainly think that he has the potential to be a really, really good defensive player this year. Um you know, especially with if if you can get him in there with a lineup, um, you know, with Mbamute and Tucker, um, they will be funneling guys to the right spots for him to be able to, you know, to Beat get them at the rim. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, he he's he's certainly in position, um, you know, to be to be a really good defensive player. Yeah, he's been given every possible opportunity. Uh, this is what a uh, what a uh, what old Coach Thorpe calls the royal jelly, right? He's gotten he's gotten so many opportunities, and it's worked out really well. He's grown a lot because they've given him those opportunities and that trust. It's pretty wild. Like zoom back out for a second here and think about the fact that this guy Clint Capella is the starting center and best center on a team which has very reasonable expectations to be in the conference finals and to be a legit title contender. When, when he was drafted, even during his first season, it was just, it will be, it will be ludicrous to consider this to be the case, but he's grown very well since then. He's really taken on his responsibilities. He's responded to it. Well, uh, they've paid him back with trust and uh, an opportunity. Like this is a, this is a very, functional relationship between this organization and Clint Capella. So I'm heartened by it. I think that there's every reason to believe that he can keep succeeding. Uh, if he doesn't, it would be a very bad sign. So let's watch out for that. But uh, so far it's kind of the, it's, it's a really shining testament to what can go right when you actually trust your young players. Right. Uh, you, you brought up about, about how, how he's come so far since he was drafted. I mean, I've told this story a thousand times, but when he when he was drafted, I was at the Rockets draft party, 
And when he when his name was called, nobody knew who the hell he was. Like like legitimately, nobody in the room knew who the hell he was. People were googling him. People were trying to figure out who he was. Somebody from the Rockets had to get up on the mic and say and, and tell everybody that you know Daryl Morey knows what he's doing. Like trust him. Like he, this guy, if if he drafted Capella, there's a reason he drafted him. And uh, yeah, I mean like. He's come a long, a long way since then, and you're right in that the Rockets have given him every opportunity and every tool to succeed. Like Chris Paul is going to be really good for Clint Capella, I think. Like Chris Paul was really big for DeAndre in in Los Angeles, but having that guy that just he's on your back for the defense, like it, it may have ended up being a bad thing in Los Angeles because DeAndre kind of grew, grew tired of him, but I mean. In Houston, like Clint Capella has been, he's been more than willing to take a backseat and being that, be that screen setter, be that uh, lob catcher. Like he, he's not really a demanding guy in terms of offensive responsibility. He doesn't want post touches. He doesn't want all that. He just wants to, you know, he just wants to do his role and do it effectively. And Chris Paul is going to really help him do that. Like not just in the pick and roll game. That's obvious. Like we, we know he's going to get a lot of dunks from Clint from Chris Paul just getting him easy easy looks like defensively like we're talking about an all you know we're talking about one of the best point point guard defenders we've ever seen in Chris Paul and someone who talks on the floor constantly that's going to help Capella's growth like crazy not only as like a def- as a as a defender being in position but as a communicator and I want I, w- I want to see how he grows there the big question with him is can he play enough minutes because he he played like 26 minutes per game last year and the Rockets are, you know, hesitant to, to raise his minutes. They're, they're going to raise it again this season to about the 30-minute per game mark, 30-31 uh, minutes per game mark. Um, can, can Do we see Clint Capella uh, playing like 30 minutes per game this year? Because, you know, he, he's had conditioning issues in the past. Do you think he's overcome that? Yet to be seen. Yeah, I'm not sure yet. I'm a little concerned with the weight that he put on. Like people say, he needs to put more weight on to match up with like the Stephen Adams of the world, which in the playoffs are pretty few and far between. But with that weight, he's not going to be as fast. One would think he's not going to jump as high, and that could make his stamina even worse being heavier on the floor. So we'll see if that works out for the better because he's definitely bigger this year than he was last year. Yeah, but he needed that in some sense because he got bullied by huge centers, um, like huge post-up center guys. And I realize they're not, there's not a lot of those guys around anymore, but he needed to gain strength and gain some muscle. Because the Rockets, what they would do is when they would play Marcus All types, is they, they would put Nene out there instead of uh, Capella to, to go up against those big bruising centers. Uh to you know, and Capella just wasn't ready for that. And I, I think you're right in that he probably did get slower and he probably did um, lose a little bounce. But it, it's it's kind of a give and take thing. Like this is something he had to do. Like um, I think you deal with the consequences because the benefits but are just which, go ahead. Which one is more conducive to winning basketball in 2017 in the playoffs? I think being a quicker jump higher center a bouncier center is what teams want more than a guy who can defend a Mark Gasol or Steven Adams that you're not going to see in the Western Conference Finals you're going to see a Draymond Green and I I would I would agree with you but then again like they're they're not just we're not just talking about Steven Adams we're talking about Pal Gasol we're talking about LaMarcus Aldridge like one of the big reasons the Rockets uh lost a lot of momentum go in in that Spurs series was when Ine went down and he wasn't able to play um, those minutes that Capella couldn't play. And, you know, Harden had to guard Pau Gasol. And like, that was a big, that was a big reason he got really, really tired. And like, I, I just think, I, I just think a little bit of muscle can't hurt him. Like not to, like, I, I, I agree with you in the sense that, yeah, it's going to slow him down. And yeah, like he needs to be quick to play against the Warriors. But Capella's already an awesome switcher, and I don't think this is going to really hurt him that much. Like he's he's already really really good at switching on pick and rolls, and I I don't think it's going to hurt his foot speed that much. But we'll see. You know, I, I could be wrong. You could be right, and yeah, I mean, it's it's really up to up to up to the season to start, and so we can finally get some of these questions answered. Um, so what's the kryptonite for this team, like in your opinion? 
I mean, injury? apart from the Warriors. Yeah, <laughs> apart from the Warriors, right. I guess the injury. I mean, um, it would be a pretty big blow to have, you know, maybe Chris Paul go down um, just because after Harden, there's not really a, a an established point guard on the roster at all. Um, uh, and that's, you know, all respect to Bobby Brown. The uh, Bobby Brown, the God. Right. Um, yeah, um, I think that that I guess isn't is a possibility, but I mean that's obviously you know something that would would be kind of out of the ordinary to happen or something like that. So um, the only thing that I could think of would be chemistry, um, but it doesn't seem to be a problem so far. Uh, I think it's probably going to be uh, defense at the rim. As always, like hopefully Capella is going to be able to uh, to improve there and mitigate that. But that's been their Achilles heel for a while. I think it's going to keep being their Achilles heel, especially in this NBA. That they're going to have pretty good perimeter defense, but when it breaks down, and it will occasionally, uh, I think we might see some some difficulty keeping guys out of the paint from just laying it up. Again, as always. Yeah, I think it would be more. Uh more rim protection on the other team because like they could do how the Spurs defended the Rockets at the end of that series where they would just have Pau Gasol because he can't guard a pick and roll. They would just push on the perimeter, make sure they, uh, James can't get that pull up three around the screen and make sure that he can't get all the way to the rim and force him to take those little in-between shots. He's not good at, but Chris Paul's really good at them, but then Chris Paul's not good at the rim. And so if you have an elite rim protector, that pretty much kills the rim for his part, that part of his game because the amount of shots he's taken there has gone way down since his New Orleans days. So I think that team, they'll struggle against teams with elite rim protectors like a Draymond Green or a Rudy Gobert. Yeah, my answer is kind of different from you, from you guys. Like, yeah, I think injury is a real concern. Like as uh, I think Forrest pointed out, or I don't remember who pointed it out, but I mean... Um, I think the Rockets got a bit lucky last year with injury luck. Uh, you know, we had real concerns about Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, and Nene, uh, and Chris. Uh, now Chris Paul, guys with huge injury injury histories, the guys that usually miss like twenty to thirty games a year at least. Uh, I think that could be a big Achilles heel for them. And number two, I, I think, I think this team could suffer some age rela- age related decline, like. This team is kind of old, uh, and no one's really pointed it out because we're all so high on this team. But, I mean, I mean, you look at the roster. Trevor Reza's 32. Uh, Nene's 34. Uh, like, Imba Mute's 31. Uh, you know, like, P.J. Tucker's 32. Like, like this team is kind of old. Chris Paul's, I think, 30 or 31. Yeah, he's 31. Um, this team is kind of old. So, I mean, if... If these guys decline a little bit defensively, or if Chris Paul takes that step back that we've been talking about for years and years and years, it just hasn't happened yet. Like if that happens this year, they could suffer, right? And I, I think that's a real concern for this team. Um, but for the time being, this team, this roster should be still really good for the next two years. Like it's not that big of a concern for me because they're in their thirties, but they're in their early thirties, so it's manageable, right? And um, yeah, I mean I- injuries is my is my biggest concern. Like, can can this team sustain that level of injury luck? Can Rhino stay healthy? Can Eric Gordon stay healthy? Can Chris Paul stay healthy? Can can all that stuff? You know, yes, we had one healthy year, but I mean, it, this kind of stuff. The reason we call those injury plagued players, I mean, it's because they got those they weren't healthy for the vast majority of their careers, right? And that that's what really matters. Um, so yeah, those are my two biggest concerns. What's the what's the ceiling for this team? Like, how good can this? How good? And you can mention postseason or regular season success uh, in response to this question. Like, how good can this team be? Should I do I it? I think they can Just get all the way it. to uh, <laughs> go do for it. it. I, th- I think we're probably in agreement that uh, on a good day, this team could win a championship. I mean, they ha- they're going to have to. Something's going to have to happen to get the Warriors out of their way a bit, right? They're going to have to have one or two things go their way to even the playing field. But they're they're there's a very good chance they're the closest team to the Warriors. And that should be the ceiling that they hope for. It's within striking distance. They have what the, they have the old puncher's chance. If it's not the Warriors, why not them? 
I think they have as good a chance as anyone that's not them. Yeah, but I agree. Um, I mean, you know, the the whole the whole idea now you you sculpt your team to to beat the Warriors, and that's kind of what the Rockets have done. Um, you know, they've gotten guys that can defend positions one through five, and um, that's pretty much how the Warriors play. So, you know, obviously the Warriors have been doing it for a while. If you know, if there's anybody that can do it, it's going to be the Texans. <laughs> um, right, sorry, the Rockets. Sorry, watching watching Will Fuller uh, watching Will Fuller run a, a kick down the sideline. Right. Okay. Um. So, like, what I would say is like I I, I was I was putting my answer like I was answering this question uh, last night uh, in terms of what what can the ceiling be for this team. And I was looking at your answers and it kind of blew me away how many of you guys said championship man. Like, the Warriors exist, man. Like, and I, I'm just I know. Uh, I know injuries can happen, but I mean, I'm just so hesitant to, in a Warriors world to, uh, no pun intended, to bet any team is going to win the championship <laughs> other than the Warriors. Like it's, especially since the Rockets are in the West. Like it, it's just, I was so tempted to go there. Reading all your answers, like I think like five, five or six of you guys said the, that the Rockets can win a championship, and like I'm not ready to go there yet. I'll I'm, I'll say the thing for this team is like. A competitive series with the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, like I think they can push the Warriors to six or seven games. That's that's very much on the table. Um, can an injury happen? Yeah, but I mean, if if the Warriors lose Kevin Durant, like we've seen this team operate with Steph Curry at the helm, right? Like they won seventy three games and made the finals and almost won the championship, like without Kevin Durant. Like, and I realize this team is totally different, and they're depending more on Kevin Durant than they were that year. But I mean, I don't know. I still think the, I still think the Warriors, even with one injury, are the favorite to win the championship. I mean, I think that that's definitely true. But it's not a hundred percent. Like the chances the Warriors win the championship is not a hundred percent. And if it's not a hundred, and if the, the Rockets can reasonably be the number two team, right? If they're if they're the team with the highest chance of beating the Warriors, and the Warriors aren't hundred percent chance to win, then you've you've got to at least like keep that on the table. You know, I, they, no, they you're can't right, you're give right. up on that dream. They can't if they give up. If they give up on winning a championship, the season's already over. Like, yeah, they're they're extremely not going to win a championship. Like, the the Warriors have by far the greatest chance to win it, and that's just realistic. But the door is cracked. You know, <laughs> if the the door is never fully shut, you can never say that like, oh, there's no point in having a season. They have to hold on to that. They have they have to shoot for it because if anybody could, it's them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't say the door is cracked. I'd say the window is cracked because uh, I, like I, the Rockets are like a really fat guy, and like the the window is like a little bit open, right? Listen, the ceiling <laughs> is the roof. Okay. Yeah, exactly. The ceiling is the Ce- roof. The ceiling is the roof, and they should go for it. All valid points. I, I'm just so hesitant to go there, man. I'm just so hesitant in, in a world where the Warriors exist, which which we which we live on right now. Like the Warriors have such a death grip on the NBA, they just do. But like, it, it, it's, it's not championship or bust. It's but it's championship or. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. You're right. Like the Rockets are, the Rockets are definitely going for it this year, and I, of course, they should. Right, like they have James Harden in their prime. They have Chris Paul. They should absolutely go for a championship. Um, but I, in good count, con- in, in good conscience, cannot say that they're. That's their ceiling yet. Like I, I want to see this team play. I, I really want to see this team play before I make that kind of judgment. I, I and I don't blame you guys for doing so because this roster looks awesome. Like this is the best roster the Rockets have had since 2009. Like when, when they had T Mac and Yao and Rafer Alston and um, and Ron Artest and Louis Scola. And like like that was a deep deep team. And this Rockets team feels just as deep in different ways. Like it, this team is stacked top to bottom and by far the greatest chance to win a championship since that 09 team um but still like it's still the warriors exist like i i i know i know it's kind of a bummer like the warriors exist man like <laughs> i mean i guess it's fair to say in this case then that uh what you're saying is that the rockets don't have a championship ceiling and neither does anybody else except for the warriors right right the, that's what i'm saying right the, the, that's exactly what i'm saying like i'm not saying like the rockets definitely right, so nobody else can win 
in my world, yeah. Like I. <laughs> okay, I mean, that's fair. I think that's fair. Like if you want to say there's no chance anybody but the Warriors wins it, that's a fairly reasonable take. Yeah, like like again, I, I don't want to say no chance because there's obviously some chance. Like we talked about injuries before. Although I think this, I think this Warriors team is unbelievably built to battle injuries. Like. There's obviously a chance, and I, I don't want to. Dis- I don't want to dismiss that chance. I think the, the Rockets are the clear number two, in my opinion, f- to for any team to, to win a championship. Like at at all the teams in the NBA, the Cavs, the Spurs, the Thunder, the Celtics, whatever. Like like I think the Rockets are that clear number two, um, just because of what they did last season and adding Chris Paul and adding these defensive pieces. Like it makes me really confident in their chances um, of being that being that number two team. But yeah. All reasonable takes. I, I, I'm I'm never I'm not ready to go there yet. But hey, ask me at the trade deadline if if, if I still think that way. Ask ask me then because <laughs> this this team could very much be on a 60 win path. Like that's that's clearly on the table. That's clearly a ceiling for this team. This this team has the talent to win 60 plus games, and this team has the talent to contend with the Warriors. But hey, the we just gotta see it. We just I just want to see this team. I just want to see it. Um, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Give us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the podcast. Um, follow Forrest on Twitter at Do Nots. Follow Kyle on Twitter at What's Your Twitter handle? Uh, K underscore Chili Twenty Two. Follow Taylor on on Twitter at Taylor L Pate and uh, go on MondaysNoops We have we have a couple articles up there right now. Fresh new, freshly designed uh, site. I think it looks pretty good. Uh, everybody else thinks it looks pretty good too. And yeah, guys, uh, thanks for listening.